This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All right, what's going down, podcast people? Hope all is well. Welcome to the Moranalytics Podcast. Today is Tuesday, July 31st, 2018, and Last day of July already. Summer's just going by way too goddamn quick. Hate it. Anyway, I'm your host, Patrick Moran. Coming up on today's show, we're going to get to know the newest member of the Buffalo mainstream media. I'll be joined by NewYorkUpstate.com, new Buffalo Bills beat reporter, Matt Perino. Matt is taking over for Matthew Fairborn, who of course went over to The Athletic. Matt and I have a nice conversation about a lot of things in a wide-ranging interview. I talked to Matt, who, by the way, is a Western New York native. I talked to him about growing up in the area and being a Bills fanatic as a kid. I talked to him about going to college around here and how he ultimately ended up spending four years covering the UFC in Las Vegas, which I find very fascinating. That whole world of the UFC It's just fascinating stuff to me. So I really look forward to talking to him about that. And like I said, he's back now covering the Bills beat. So we have a real fun conversation. And it's a chance for you guys who may not know him as of now to get to know Matt. Really good guy. There's a lot of good things to say. And I know he's going to do a great job at NewYorkUpstate.com covering the Bills. Immediately after that, I'm joined by Tone Pucks for our recurring Pat with Pucks segment. Today, Tone and I are talking about, of all things, chicken wings in Buffalo, which I found out this weekend can definitely be a hot-button discussion. I don't want to get into it right now. Like I said, Tone and I are going to talk about it, but there are some spirited people when it comes to chicken wings in Buffalo, as you'll find out in a little bit. So we're going to talk about that, Buffalo Bills training camp stuff, and plenty more. Hey, real quick before I get into the meat and potatoes of today's episode, I just wanted to throw a quick shout out and a thank you to everyone who's been listening to this podcast. Last week was a huge week for the Moranalytics podcast. I had ESPN Josina Anderson on the show last Tuesday and former Bills wide receiver Don Deeby this past Friday. Both episodes did great. Got a lot of positive comments and feedback from you guys and I truly, truly appreciate it. If you miss either of those or any of the previous 41 episodes for that matter, just go to iTunes, Spotify, or something like that. You can even go to my website at moranalytics.com and you can find all the previous episodes. I encourage you to go check them out. A lot of them are really good interviews. Not so much because of me, just because I've had really, really good guests on so far. All right. So anyway, 
enough about the past. Let's get down to today's business. Here's my interview with Matt Perino, followed immediately by some Pat with Bucks. All right, my guest today is new to the Buffalo media scene. Well, you know what? That's not really accurate. He's new to the Buffalo mainstream media scene. He spent the past few years covering the wild and crazy world of the UFC out in Las Vegas. And now he's back as a Buffalo Bills beat reporter for NewYorkUpstate.com. He's covering the hometown team that he grew up a fan of. I'm talking about Matt Perino. What's up, Matt? Thanks for being here. How's life, man? Life is good, man. Training camp is in uh, full uh, full motion here and uh, getting to, you know, get all this humidity in. I'm used to the dry heat of Vegas, so it's been uh, it's been a fun time. I'm, I'm glad to be back. <laughs> I'm sure you are. And like I said, we're going to talk about Bill's training camp, UFC, some of that stuff. But just like I do with all my guests, let's go back to the very beginning at first. Like I mentioned, you are actually from Western New York. Where exactly were you born and where did you grow up? So I was born in Amherst. Uh, grew up, grew up in that, uh, area. And then when I was, um, uh, went to private school, uh, through eighth grade, my mom was a Catholic school teacher. And then, uh, in high school, they moved me over to public. So I went to Amherst for a year and a half. And then my dad got a cool job, um, in Dallas, Texas. So we moved to Dallas, Texas for what ended up being only eight months because my mom didn't really like it. Uh, my grandfather wasn't doing too well. And we just decided as a family, best to move the show back to Buffalo. So a little foreshadowing for later in my own life, but we got back to Buffalo. I, we, we lived in Williamsville, went to Williamsville North. Uh, when we got back, wasn't really feeling it. Didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life yet. So I actually dropped out of high school. I got a, I got my GED was kind of like a, a late bloomer. Oh wow! Uh, didn't really know kind of what I wanted to do. So I did a whole bunch of different things. Uh, I was I was at Duval College for a while, um, running their kind of like activity center, and I ended up being uh, uh, a manager of their basketball team. So basically, just like you know, all the odds and ends that go with uh, you know cleaning up after practice and getting everything the players need. And I kind of like, you know, I always like love sports, and I I, I fancy myself a good writer. But um, in that process, being that close to kind of like you know a co- like a college level athlete. I just realized that there's so many like unbelievable stories that, that are just waiting to be told. And I, through that process and, you know, uh, meeting certain people, my wife specifically, I kind of got my direction, uh, ended up at Erie community college at around 24, 25, uh, had some amazing professors there, uh, that really set me up. Uh, then it was on the UB, uh, my last year there, I, I, I ran their uh, student newspaper uh, Spectrum as editor in chief. That was the that was the real springboard to my career because at UB the the student newspaper is um, it's not funded by the students. It's funded by advertisements, and so one of the only papers at a big school in the in the country that really operates that way. So it was it was a real you know wake up call to the to the business and journalism and newspapers. And after that, uh, interned quickly at the Buffalo news for a summer on their business desk, which was crazy. Cause I wanted, I wanted to work on the sports desk, but they already had a couple of interns. So I took the business desk kind of, you know, got out of my comfort zone. And that again, just like all these little things adding up, uh, really helped build my, um, my resume and my repertoire. And then, uh, went on to the Tonawana news two years, uh, before jumping on this UFC opportunity and, Getting wild and crazy, like you said. 
you know, I really like and respect the path that you went about you know, becoming a sports writer because it's different. And it just shows that there's so many different paths that, you know, that writers take. Some guys, like I've had people on the show, they knew in third grade that they wanted to be a sports writer when they grew up. You know what I mean? Third grade, sixth grade, certainly by high school. And you have guys like yourself, you know, man, it wasn't an always, it wasn't a sure thing for you. And you didn't know right away what it was you wanted to do. So you had a lot of trials and tribulations along the way. Now let's go back to that UB thing a little bit. Cause you did, like you said, you were at the spectrum in college. How important was that to you in terms of, you know, what you would go on to do in the future? I mean, I, I it sounds to me like it might've been at that point where it started to click for you that, you know, sports journalism is definitely something you're capable of doing for a living. And one more question I, I'm going to add to that too. What do you think the role of college newspapers should be? Should it be something that, you know, where you craft your skills or do you think it should be a newspaper like, you know, a, a critical newspaper that's not afraid to hold college officials and sports accountable for stuff? Well, let me answer that first and then I'll bounce back. I think it could be both. And I think I got a little bit of, you know, both of those experiences at the spectrum. Um, when I was there, um, we ended up having a situation when I was editor in chief, I had um, a kid, uh, her name was Lisa Curry and she's gone on to do, she's really great. She's gone on to work at uh, spectrum news here locally. She's done stuff like internationally in Lebanon. Like she's, she's awesome. But at the time she was just straight out of school, uh, out of high school, um, really green, not really just kind of like looking to fit in somewhere. And she didn't even know if she wanted to be a writer or a journalist. And so, you know, she was really like gung ho. So I started sending her to, you know, the police department on campus and to get the daily police reports and build a relationship there. And so she started branching out. And finally, one day she decided to write a column and another person in the class had an idea and was like, why don't we write a point counterpoint? because she was really passionate about why people shouldn't get tattoos. And so um, at the time, anytime we could kind of fire up debate, like on a college campus, whether it be about politics, sports, um, tattoos, it didn't really matter. I mean, it's something that we were looking to do because it's all about the conversation in that, in that area. And so they did it. And what, the, what we were battling with at that, in that time, so now that would be almost seven years ago, that was just when social media was really starting to become, you know, popular and a thing that, you know, the majority were doing. And when we published that story, 15 years ago, it would have been no big deal because it would have just ran in the newspaper and that would have been it. But we ran everything in the newspaper and online. And people got a hold of her column online without any context and just her basically telling people why if they have a tattoo, they're, you know, you know, should be frowned upon. And I mean, it went a little bit, it was a little bit harsher than that, but the, it went viral, like massively viral. I did interviews with, you know, uh, news outlets around the country about like why we printed it and how we're handling it and point did a bunch of stuff with pointer. And it, it was a definitely a learning experience. I think that, you know, we learned a lot from it as a group, but I, I think I, I, I think it, that lesson, that everything that you put down, um, everything that you type and everything you put out there is going to be consumed and people are going to react to it is a message that, or is it a lesson that I don't think that everybody understands going into this. You know what I mean? It's like, oh yeah, I want to write something and put it out there. You don't understand the kind of reactions that you get to it. I mean, now I could write something about the bills and have like, you know, 
a thousand people angry at me about it, right? Yeah. But without those kind of experiences, I wouldn't be prepared to handle that. And I, that happened for me, like, right out of the gate. I mean, that was like that. I'd cover UB Bulls basketball and football. And going back to your first question, that is what really, like, like you talked about, gave me the confidence to be a sports writer because you, you, get, you are able to get on a major Division One. It's a mid-major, but, you know, in Buffalo, it's the biggest show in town yeah. from, on a college level you get on those beats and you're covering those teams exclusively and you build relationships with the coaches. Uh, I was talking basketball with Reggie Witherspoon uh, every other day. And that you just like, that's like you get thrown right into the world. And that's where I really, you know, got passionate about it and fell in love with it. And, but yeah, I, I think, I think college newspapers can be, can be whatever students need them to be for them. And I think that um, they're essential, not only like UB is a huge, school, like 25,000 people or, or so across both campuses. So there's a lot of stuff going on. Student funds uh, are a big topic, and I think that, you know, it's the responsibility of the, of the newspaper to make sure that the people that are controlling all of that money for all of those students that, you know, are paying these fees uh, are held accountable, and I think that's something we try to do at UB. Now, you worked a handful of months, you mentioned this, in 2012, just a handful of months, but you were an intern at the Buffalo News at the business desk. How was that experience helpful for you? And did you get a chance while you were there to meet some of the guys from the sports department? Well, you know, at least some of the guys from the sports department that were there back then. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, it was crucial. Uh, Grove Potter was my uh, business desk editor. Uh, he was just an unbelievable influence on me. Just from a, a guy that really just gets it, like in all phases of life, being like a professional and being like a, a responsible person. And he, he really just kind of like set me out. It was a really great in- internship because I had never even thought about writing business stories. So honestly, going into it, I was super apprehensive about like, oh man, I mean, what if I, what if I just totally fall on my face here? And he guided me through this whole thing and just like um, really instilled confidence in me. And everything that I did, we talked about, and that's what a good editor does, right? Sure. That's actually, I mean, I'm fast forwarding a little bit, but that's one of the reasons that I came, came back here is that the guy, the, the gentleman that I'm, that's my editor now, Hank Doman, I could sense that from him right off of the bat. And that's super important in this business is that like, you know, we, the people that are putting their byline on these stories get a lot of the credit, but it's the people behind the scenes that are super integral to this whole process. And, um, Grove was that, um, but yeah, I did. I did get to meet uh, a lot of the guys at the Buffalo News. Mike Harrington. Um, I actually spent three summers interning for a New York City baseball magazine uh, called Inside Pitch that covered the Mets. And at that time, that was while I was in school. Just as kind of like they wanted like little features on on the on the prospects because the Bison's Buffalo Bison's were a farm team. So I was doing feature stories. So I was in there. I met. Uh, Mike Harrington, Amy Moritz, um, um, Jerry Sullivan was, uh, Keith McShay was my, one of my professors at um, UB, and then he brought in Jerry Sullivan, who I met, uh, Bruce Andriach, also one of my professors, so uh, Andrew Galarno. So I got, you know, UB is, doesn't have a, a, um, a journalism program. I, I got my degree in communication with a, a certificate in journalism, but with those kind of people like, you know, Bruce Andriach, who's been like on the, you know, city and suburban beat for, for over 20 years. Andrew Galarno is this food, like old school journalist, but a guy that's just 
revolutionized like culinary coverage, and then Keith McShay, the godfather of high school sports coverage I love in Keith. New York. Oh my gosh, he was a real he was a real inspiration for me. Yeah, he's a great guy. He really is. Now let me ask you this: You worked for you know you did your time at the Tonawanda News. I'm sure you gained you know more invaluable experience there. Of course, the Tonawanda News is no longer in existence. Let's get to the juicy stuff, though. Okay. How did the opportunity to work for UFC come about? Were you a big UFC fan before that? I need to know that because I've yet to be able to talk to someone who's worked for the UFC with reporting. How did that come about? It was just, it was in the stars. It was, it was meant to be because when I met my wife, when I was growing up, me and my brother, who was about five years old, five years younger than me, we used to, um, my dad had this like, um, I guess at the time they were called like cheater boxes where you get pay-per-view for free. Oh yeah. I don't know how he got wound up getting them, but we had one in our family room. So we would just wind up watching like, you know, um, movies and stuff like that. And they always had these UFC fights on there. And we just, we thought they were the coolest thing. These no hold barred, like no holds barred, like craziness. So we used to like watch them. And you know, that was my only experience with it. Well, when I met my wife, her brother-in-law was a diehard UFC fan. And you know how when you first meet, you know, start going out with a girl, trying to impress him, you like, you know, <laughs> start talking to their sure. people. And um, so we became good friends, and I started going to, like, you know, Buffalo Wild Wings to watch the fights and fell in love with it. I mean, just, like, it's, it's, it's so much. Like, MMA is, like, so multifaceted. I mean, it's, like a, it's a sport because it's, like, this revolving, like, season, right, that, that never ends. Right. But at the same time, it's, like, this unique, like, thing, again, I like, go back to, like, you know, meet these athletes and these, their stories. Like, I, I will tell you right now, I've covered pretty much every sport at every level now, and people that I met in the fight game, and, and mixed martial arts specifically, were just some of the best people, man. Like, I just... I love telling their stories. I love, I mean, just coming up next week, Cody Garbrandt is fighting. This guy is, a, I've done so much stuff with him. He's just like, a, so many genuine people. And, you know, I mean, there's genuine people in everything. But, like, I don't know, my experience has been so great. Anyway, so I'm laying in bed one day, four or five, I was at the Tanawana News. And at the time, I mean, talking about journalism being a tough gig, I mean, I was making, like, basically minimum wage to run like i was a sports editor at the time i wanted to yeah. i had i had seven high schools um we were covering the bisons i was covering the ub teams um we were doing pretty much paying everything. your dues i mean we yep, you're paying your yeah, dues. paying my dues and it was brutal and one day i was sitting in bed with my wife and i was flipping through whatever twitter or my email and teamwork online which is a uh the, for the professional league to post jobs, I see this job and it just said web producer for your ultimate fighting championship. I'm like, well, what's this? And I, I looked at the thing and it was like, it wasn't really a sports writer job or even a journalism job, but I just figured, you know, I love the UFC. Like what's, what, what could be the worst thing that could happen? So I applied and they called and I did my first interview and they basically started telling me, explaining to me what their vision was. And they were like, you know, we're, we're, we're this growing you know, organization, and we really want to emulate the NFL and build a digital presence and really kind of revolutionize our website. And we'd like you to come be a part of it and, you know, be a big part of it and like kind of mold the strategy and mold the coverage. And, you know, I was like, wow. And they, they liked me and they flew me out. It was definitely like a connection. And they wanted somebody with a journalism background, but a lot of people that, you know, the stars of the industry probably were a little apprehensive, not only about the UFC, but about, you know, moving to Vegas. It's tough to get people to move there. So it was a match made in heaven. I moved out there, and 
in the last four years, I've done some crazy. We've just like along with. Uh, it's funny. After I went, we started to change things up a bit. Uh, my boss, who was the editor in chief at UFC.com for three years, Nancy Gay, she she's an NFL Hall of Fame voting member. She covered the San Francisco 49ers in some capacity for about 15 years. She was a columnist at San Francisco Chronicle, just like a OG, like Hall of Fame sports journalist, a uh, real pioneer for women's uh, sports writers as well. I got to learn under her, and we brought they brought her in and. Um, we started the rankings report with Forrest Griffin, who was basically just sitting in an office. Uh, and in the old UFC building, we had like an office park with like five buildings, and we were all scattered because this, this thing is growing so fast. They, it took them a while to build this big HQ that they have now. So he was just sitting around doing some community stuff because he was on the payroll. He was a Hall of Famer, former champ that wasn't playing anymore. And I was like, hey, let's get on, let's get on camera and start messing around talking some fights. And what do you know? Within two years, we turned that thing into, uh, you know, I think we did 50 episodes, and they did over 10 million views wow. on, on YouTube. I mean, it was it was it was pretty amazing stuff. And now they've taken that show, and they've built it even better. Like he uh, he does it with Forrest Griffin. I had been promoted, and I was doing something a little bit different, kind of running the whole organization. When I left there, I was actually promoted as the director of digital media. It was a really hard decision, to be honest with you. I was I was running UFC.com. I mean. They're, they're about to launch a completely new website, that, something that's been in the works for basically like two years. Um, spent a lot of money on it. So it was a really hard decision. But this, to me, was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity with an organization that I really, really believe is at the forefront of digital journalism. Um, Advanced Media uh, owns the Post Standard in Syracuse, Syracuse.com, and now New York Upstate. And they've really, really honed in on what it takes to be successful in the digital age from a journalism perspective. Mm-hmm. And they believe in this, in this bill's beat, and it's doing really well for them. Matthew Fairburn before me is outstanding. Uh, he's yeah. the athletic, a guy that I spent some time with over the last two weeks. Totally impressed with this Great guy. Great guy. Yeah. And so once in a lifetime opportunity was tough, but um, it's, the, it's the next chapter. Some of the most polarizing people, in my opinion anyway, from sports and entertainment or from UFC. And I got to ask you this, why I have you on the podcast. Cause like I said, I don't get a ton of UFC guys on here. So when I got someone like you on, I can't not ask what were a few of the guys like, and I'm talking of course about guys like, you know, Dana White and Conor McGregor. And of course, Brock Lesnar. Dana, Dana White is everything that you see on TV and everything that you don't. I mean, the guy is, he's the most passionate um, person when it comes to you know, this business that, that I've met in my entire time there. I mean, this guy, you know, he just made millions upon millions of dollars in the sale of the UFC to uh, WMEIMG, which is now Endeavor. And they basically said, you know, he, he could have walked away from this like Lorenzo Fertitta did, uh, but they offered him a spot to, to stay on and continue running this thing. And this guy is like, it's, it would be like winning a lottery and being able to go buy an island somewhere. You know what I mean? And he still comes into work every day with his big whiteboard that has the list of all the fight cards coming up and all the matchups that he has. He lives and breathes this. Is he a hard guy to work for? At times, yes, because he has this vision that he built from, the, from a when – he, when he started, he tells a story all the time, they worked out of an office in this one central building in this office park, and – Lorenzo had a nice office, but they didn't have any, they couldn't buy any more office space. So Dana's office was in a broom closet and he had to work out of this broom closet and he built the UFC, this $4.2 
billion dollar massive juggernaut organization from a broom closet to what it is today. So just imagine going people that are coming in now when there was 10 employees at the start, five employees, telling him how to do things. He's very passionate about it. And he's made all the right calls. Look at this. This, this thing is crazy. And um, there will there's be times when you'll be uh, when, during my time there where I'll be sitting in a conference room with Dana White just talking fights. Uh, he'd, he'd be telling me old school stories about uh, him and Tito Ortiz, and it was just it was just amazing. Um, Brock Lesnar only fought once while I was there, so I never really had any uh, interaction with him. And he is actually super aloof anyway. Yeah. So he comes in, does his thing, and gets out. He's the same way in WWE. He's one of those characters that people don't get to really know too well. Um, Conor McGregor, complete opposite of what his public persona is. He is a guy like super down to earth, super like um, remembers everybody that he meets. Very, very gracious, like with UFC staff stuff like that. Um, he just, you know, he learned to play the part. He he studied this game like no one before him, maybe since Muhammad Ali, and really understood what it was going to take to become a draw. And then as it happened, he's so. He's so intelligent with you know with this how this whole fight game works. He just kept building on it and building on it until what it is today, which is this just larger than life craziness. Um, but yeah, he's awesome. Um, trying to think. What, how about what how about Ronda Rousey? What was it like for her? You know, living with that hype that she carried around everywhere she went for so long. You know, being the baddest woman on the planet, stuff like that, being invincible for as long as she was. How hard was it for someone like her to have to carry that around with her? Everywhere she went, yeah. all of the hype. You know what I mean? So it's tough because when I worked there, obviously I was, uh, you know, working for the company. So there's a, there's a lot of it was a lot of stuff that I thought or believed that I that it was really hard. I couldn't really say a lot of it. Um, I had to kind of create. I had to create my coverage with a kind of PR slant. But now that I'm not there anymore, I can kind of give more of my opinion. And I think the biggest disservice that Ronda Rousey ever did for her career was the way that she handled the losses. Yeah. And I think that you look you look throughout the history of MMA and all the guys that have and, and ladies that have suffered the big losses and everybody loses and it was just something that I think but at the same time she did so much not only for the sport of MMA women fight uh fighters but also the media obligations. I just think that she did so much and she, she blazed such a path that by the end of it, she didn't have anything left to give. And I think a lot of people in the media took it personally. And um, from my perspective, though, I just feel bad because I, she's one of the greatest athletes or, you know, of all time. And women, men, any sport... And I just, I hate the idea that what she accomplished would be tainted because of, you know, kind of a uh, unceremonious close yeah. to her career. She got beat up bad the last, her last yeah. two fights. There's no question about that. You know, I always thought of, I think of Barry Sanders when I thought of her. And I've been wrong about a million and one things. But here's what I mean by that. If there was ever somebody, and I know it's much easier said than done, that maybe should have retired while she was on top. I mean, she wasn't just a trailblazing fighter, like you said. She's also a very good-looking woman, very personable, a movie star. You know, if there was ever a case where maybe if she would have retired and didn't fight those last couple fights, she could have retired undefeated and been this 
mythical legend for the rest of her life. You know what I mean? Whereas you said it perfectly. Now, at least there's some people, which is probably very unfair considering all she did for the sport, but it's probably there's some people who when they think of Ronda Rousey, they think of Ronda Rousey laying on the ground twice knocked out. You know what I mean? 100%. Um, And I just think that there were just... Also, it's all about the people around you. I, I say, like, Conor McGregor really surrounded himself with a very, very good group of people that were with him from the start, and he kept all of them close to him. If you look around at the people that tend to, to run into some problems, it's not always the case, but Ronda, like, you know, she had Edmund Tarverdian in her ear telling her that she was this world-class boxer, and anybody that knew anything about the sport would watch her train or um, hit pads and would immediately tell you, uh, she's a novice. I mean, if she were ever to stand in a boxing ring with a, even an amateur boxer, she'd get knocked out. And, you know, she, she knocked out Betch Cohea, who is a very, very um, amateurish striker in, in her own right. I don't think she's ever finished anybody in the UFC. And I think that you start to believe the hype. And just talking to the way that she was talking in the lead-up to the Holly Holm fight when she was coming back to fight Amanda, I really went back and looked at all of the lead-up, like all the interviews that she was doing. And she basically was walking on clouds like, I can't be beat, beaten. I will retire undefeated. There's no woman alive that can beat me. And I know you've got to believe in yourself and you have to have that confidence, but if you think that no matter what, you're going to walk through the UFC and never run into a problem or never have to you know, find a, a person that can beat you, you're wrong. Daniel right. Cormier is the best fighter on the planet right now. The guy is the double champ, just beat Stipe Miocic, the greatest heavyweight of all time. But guess what? Still lost to John Jones. It doesn't matter who you are. Conor McGregor, he's had a run in the UFC that is unlike anything I've ever seen. But he lost to Nate Diaz. So it doesn't matter who you are. You're going to lose. It's how you handle that loss that I think, in a way, Ronda's done a service for the sport even more so in what happened to her after the run that she went on is that she showed uh, the entire next generation of fighters how not to handle a loss. Yeah. And it's important. That's a great point. For you personally, what was the best and worst parts about moving out to Vegas and living there after spending, you know, virtually your entire life in Buffalo? So the best part is, the best part was, you know, all the people that I met at the UFC, I'm going, I mean, it's a drastic change. So like, I was working at, there's like 300 plus people in the UFC office. We just moved to a new, a new headquarters, $76 million facility in, right off the strip uh, a year and a half ago. And I'm, I, I go to work every day with you know, 300 people within a, you know, a minute walk from my desk or less. And it was a really cool, unique environment. I met so many people from different you know, departments and different like, careers, marketing people, public relations, creative people, production video people, sponsorship people, um, athlete development, uh, so many people, like operation people. You just see, see how people do their job at the highest level. Dana always said it, like we go out and we get people from – the best people in the country and the world to come to Vegas to work for the UFC because we want to build something big. And that's what he's accomplished. And to work that closely with all those people was amazing. I love the weather, love the people, uh, didn't love the school system. Uh, I think Vegas is 49th in the, uh, in the U.S. in terms of public school system. And my wife's a teacher. 
And so that was something we just had our, our second child, our little, we have Lucas, who is my son, and then little Kennedy is four months old, a little, little older than that. And when, when we had her four months ago, it was kind of like, you know, we started talking and, you know, uh, we'd really, she's always really wanted to get back to Buffalo, but with this, with now having two kids, it was just something like, that's what I really, really love about New York, but specifically this area is just the schools are really so, so good. Sure. Now you've grown up and you spent your life and you've said this before, I've heard you say, you know, you're an unapologetic Buffalo Bills fan. Now you're a professional reporter that covers the team. I mean, it's a digital age, but it's still, you are covering the team. You're a media guy. Have you started that process of, you know, like sort of removing that fandom that you had for the Bills now that you are covering the team so that, you know, you could do your coverage in an unbiased and objective manner? 100%. This is something that I've really thought a lot about. And one thing I'll say is right off the bat is I had a kind of a head start on this because when I took this UFC job, I didn't know it at the time, but it becomes your life. Like, there's no off season. Like, honestly, like I watched every bills game. We would go to like the thing and I still follow the team, but it was just, even when they won the, even when they won the, uh, the game and the Andy Dalton thing last year, I don't know if you, if you would, if that would have been like 16 year old me watching that game it would have been a totally different, you know, viewing experience for everyone <laughs> in that sports book that I was watching it. But you know, you just kind of like the longer that you're in this game around professional sports, like I, I had a lot of people, uh, fighters I was fans of. There's a lot of people that I met in the UFC that I became friends with. So just think about that. Somebody I was really close with, Cody Garbrandt. I spent a lot of time working with him. Super genuine guy, like just like a friend. I mean, a guy that I, you know, I text all the time. And, you know, watching him fight, I got to cover him versus TJ Dillashaw after he just gets knocked out. Do you think I can go and write my story about, you know, well, TJ Dillashaw got lucky? Of course not. Right. It's a fight. They're professionals. We're all professionals. And I'm, I hold myself to a journalistic, uh, you know, ethical integrity um, with everything I'm doing. But at the end of the day, let's be honest, a lot of Bills fans could, be, could cover the team because they're about as, you know, they'll, they'll call BS just like anybody else. Now, I will say I have noticed as I'm getting back involved in the scene there is a big part of this Bills Mafia that's very anti-criticism when it comes to the team. Mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like when I was growing up and you know, when the, the fan base was affectionately known at the time as the 12th man, um, it was a little bit different. I always felt like people were like, you know, depending on what moves the team made or you know, how a player played, it was much more critical of the team and it was much more accepted. And it doesn't seem to be the case as much. But I do think that you know, with me, I've, I've seen it. I've seen a lot. I've done a lot. I've covered pretty much every sport you can from high school swimming to Conor McGregor knocking out Eddie Alvarez in MSG in the first ever UFC in MSG. And I've, I've, I've done everything in between. And um, you're going to get somebody that's passionate that understands what it's like to be a fan. You know what I mean? I think that's something that like a lot of sports writers lose over the course of the grind that is their career is that you know, you get frustrated with things. Like I, sometimes I've been in press boxes before where guys are like, or, or women are like uh, complaining because the game's taking too long and they want to file their story. I never got that. Like, I know people that, you know, punch a clock 8 a.m. and get home at 8 p.m. working hard labor jobs. And you're sitting here covering professional sports, college sports. There's not a day that goes by when I'm actually in my job that I'm working that I complain about that stuff. And, 
So I think that, you know, people will be able to see it in my coverage. Uh, uh, I'll hold them accountable like I would any, any other team that I was uh, covering. Uh, but I think that having that, that base in, in the city and with the team is just going to hopefully be a richer experience for readers and viewers of all my content. One more thing about the UFC, and then I want to talk a little bit about the Bills and training camp. With your experiences at UFC, again, this is something that's really unique and different. I don't hear of too many people who cover the UFC going on to, you know, to cover football. How can you incorporate those experiences from UFC to the work that you'll be doing on the Bills beat? Well, I think right, right away you'll see that um, in my coverage just today, before I get to this, I'm, I'm easing my way into this all, right? You know, I've done some, you know, 53-man roster projection, mm-hmm. um, observations from training camp. But I'll be completely honest, and I'll tell anybody that asks, this is, this is, I'm a rookie, you know what I mean? I'm coming into training camp like any other rookie, whether it be Josh Allen or Tremaine Edmonds. There's a lot that I have to learn, not only about the game, but about the processes, everything that goes on sure. like, in training camp, in preseason. So I'm trying to do it on the fly, and, I, and, and I'm not complaining about that. But I will say before that, you know, be patient, you know, that it'll come. But in terms of taking what I did in the UFC, like I said, I'm very passionate about the digital experience. I think that in 2018 and beyond, people want to consume content in multiple ways, whether it be a, an article a video, a podcast, you know, people want, people want to just consume it all. And I think that I'm, I consider myself kind of like a utility player. My, my cousin, um, played professional baseball for the Padres and, um, the athletics. He he grew up in Brockport, uh, went to Lemoyne. His name's Andy Perino. And, uh, he, he was great. He could play second base. He could play outfield. He could play, he could even play first base, but he was a shortstop and he was a no for and I, that's what I consider myself. I consider myself a utility guy. I can do it all. And, you know, I posted something today after camp, uh, just cut a little quick video uh, recapping uh, the story or the, the, the four days of camp, had a couple links to the, some of the stories that I did this week. And that's what, that's what you're going to get with me. I mean, it'll get better and more comprehensive as we go along, but I really want to just give everybody – that is interested in, in, in Bill's news and Bill's coverage, you know, a, a multitude of options. Now, one media advantage that I think that you do have is that you sort of have a fresh set of eyes when it comes to this team. You don't have any, you know, preconceived notions about any one specific player because, like you said, you haven't been around to cover these guys before. So, having said that, based, you know, on having a fresh set of eyes, what's your initial impressions personally of Josh Allen? I mean, obviously, you haven't seen a lot of them yet. There's only We're taping this on a Sunday night, so there's been four practices. But, you know, reports I've seen from several people over the first few days, they indicate that of the three quarterbacks, he's probably looked the best of the three so far. Mm-hmm. And what I, what I will say is, if you're a Bills fan that didn't like the Tyrod Taylor experience, you're going to really like the Josh Allen experience. Because even in camp where there's not a lot that you can kind of take away from this and apply it to what it's going to look like in the season, I don't think. It's practice. But you start to see tendencies and you see a guy's mentality. And throws that Tyrod Taylor wouldn't even dream about making or throwing, Josh Allen is doing it. And he's doing it with all eyes on him after signing the big contract on Wednesday before starting training camp on Thursday. That's a storyline that I think has been under 
reported, something that I'm hopefully going to talk about next week, is this guy literally didn't even know if he was going to be in camp and signs his contract 24 hours from the start of training camp, walks in, has a bad day, comes back and has a uh, you know a day as well, and then comes out on 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 Saturday uh, morning and just you know tears it up. Does he make a couple mistakes? Of course, but this is a franchise quarterback type of guy. You remember? I think back to Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, I know all there's all these comparisons, and some say it's 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 on the money. Some say it has nothing to do with Ben, but. I don't think he was a, you know, a pro bowler right out of the gate. I mean, he's going to come out and he's going to learn the game at the professional level. He was playing at Wyoming with a bunch of, uh, you know, lower level t- uh, players. It's going to take, it's going to be a process, but I like his swagger. I like how he is. Like, you know, you could see it, even the guys that sign for fans, you can see it. Um, if it's, if it's like a job for them, you know what I mean? But with Allen, even despite all that's going on, getting thrown into the NFL, um, you know, limelight and trying to learn the playbook and, and practicing in front of people, uh, a public for the first time, I was watching him walk to the locker room and there's the, the fans on the uh, second field that kind of line up near the locker room to hope to get the guys to sign mm-hmm. after the big, the big signing on the, on the main field. And Allen's walking and they're all shouting his name and he's pretending like he doesn't hear them and then he's like kind of skirts off to the side like he's going to walk in, and then he kind of does like an airplane and, and bounces back <laughs> and just runs down the line. He's a star, you know what I mean? Like he's got that, that moxie. He's got that it factor, you know, and that's something that I know a lot about being in the UFC because that's all that they look for um, is do, the people that have the it factor are the people that they put the marketing push behind. And I think that, you know, Buffalo has been starving for a franchise quarterback. And even if this guy doesn't pan out, even if he isn't that guy, He's got a shot. He's got a shot, right? He's got all these intangibles, and he's got this star quality. And guess what? Part of the whole thing is, being a fan, is the journey, right? So maybe he ends up not panning out. Maybe that he does. Enjoy the process. Sean McDermott says it best. Enjoy the process. See see how it plays out. Um, Don't get too high. Don't get too low. These things, you know, who knows? Carson Wentz, guy's a superstar. Guy's look phenomenal potentially future hall of famer if he if he has 10 more years like this right what happens if he just goes south what happens if he just you know if it doesn't all go it's not no not everybody's tom brady so i like josh allen i think that you know when he when he was first drafted i read all those reports i i probably had some of those reactions like oh is this the best pick maybe josh rosen but i think that um after getting to see him in up close and personal not just with football but you know him as a guy i, I think bill's fans should be excited that's definitely encouraging Now, you're still getting acclimated with this roster, so I'm not going to grill you on it a lot. It's going to take some time for you to get to know these guys and just know how the team operates. But having said that, not counting Josh Allen, because we've already discussed him, who are a few of the guys on this roster that you're going to camp every day at practice and you're keeping a really tight eye on? Whether it's someone, you know, who's, who's a star on the team, someone who might be on the roster bubble, just generally speaking, give me like maybe two or three guys that you have your eyes on pretty much on a daily basis right now. Number one, and it's not hard to get your eyes on him because I tell people this that asked me all last week. Every time you get to the practice field and you and they're all out there and they're doing they're stretching, you'll find you'll find Tremaine Edmonds immediately. He's so huge. Like it doesn't matter if there's 90 guys on the field, you're gonna find him. So he's somebody that I'm keeping an eye on just because of 
just reading all of these scouting reports on this kid and, you know, the, the feature stories and the, and the videos, he's just like this, like, unicorn, right? Like, mm. he's just like, these guys don't come along. And, and not only did the Bills get a potential franchise quarterback, but they also got their potential quarterback on defense for the next 10 years. And, you know, additionally, what makes me excited about that um, is for them is that McDermott's a defensive guy, right? So he's going to not only have Leslie Frazier, the D coordinator, to, to mold this kid, uh, veterans like Kyle Williams, Lorenzo Alexander, but that's his specialty. He, you know, Tremaine Evans is coming into a very advantageous position. He's handled it really well. One of my first uh, stories that I would actually have you know, tweet out with pride was I spoke with uh, uh, Star Latulale, uh, new D tackle from Carolina that came over the off season, and Lorenzo uh, two days ago after practice, and I just asked them like, so what's the deal with uh, this Tremaine Edmonds? What do you guys think? And they were raving about him, and I know a lot of it is just you know, um, you know, you're just talking up your teammate, and but you could tell in the way that they were describing him, it's it, they're the three of them, they're they're going to make each other's jobs easier. You know what I mean? Sure. Latulale is known as a space eater. He's going to open up holes for an athletic, speedy guy like Tremaine Edmonds to make plays. But could you imagine if you're that guy that's eating up the space and the guy behind you not, is not making those plays? So I think he's looking at this kid like, okay, this is an opportunity to have somebody really make an impact on this defense. And then Alexander's seen it all in this league. He's going in his ninth season. Uh, really, really well spoken. And he gave me a really good breakdown. He said Tremaine is super mature for his age. Everybody, that's, whatever, that's the, the talking point that everybody's hitting about this, Tremaine Edmonds. He's got three, two brothers in the NFL. His dad played ball. He knows, he knows what he's got to do. Um, I'm, I'm going on and on here, but Tremaine Edmonds is definitely a guy I have my eye on. Uh, additionally, not any one guy, but I'm, 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 trying to, I'm really looking at that wide receiver group and trying to pinpoint the guy that's going to step up and mm-hmm. be the, you know, number two to Calvin Benjamin. And to be honest with you, that's not even a, a sure thing is that Calvin Benjamin is going to be a productive number one. I mean, if you look at his last few seasons, he hasn't been. I mean, he dealt with some injuries, but um, his rookie season was really outstanding, and it's kind of it's been tough to get back to that level of production. So, you know, you look across the board, there's a couple of, I talked to Jeremy Curley today, and he was, um, you know, you, just, you can just tell the veteran savvy just from five-minute conversation with him. So he'll be in the mix. Then you got a bunch of young guys, you know, um, Malachi Dupree, Zay Jones, who hasn't even taken a snap yet. He's still coming back from that knee injury from that bizarre incident over the, the yeah, offseason. Yep. And then this Robert Foster that everybody is gawking at and, like, just, like, um, just got speed, size, uh, didn't have a really great career at Alabama, but was really highly recruited. So there's a bunch of, like, you know, I feel like there's always these guys in training camp, right? Like, you know, going back through the years, like guys that, you know, didn't make it for whatever reason, but have super potential and just given the right situation and opportunity. But Brian, Brian Dable, I mean, so many reporters are talking about, uh, you know, the difference in from last year with Dennison, the kind of boring, bland offensive playbook compared to this year where you could already tell putting Benjamin in the slot and what he could do with the running backs out of the backfield. It's going to be very interesting to see if they do hit on one of these you know, young receivers, what Dable can do with them. And even if it's like an A.J. McCarron that wins the job, being that creative guy, look at Tom Brady. I mean, look what he's done with kind of you know, speedy, um, 
little receivers over time. Like it could be like a guy like Austin Prohl, undrafted guy that comes in here and has a connection with one of these quarterbacks. And so I'm really, I'm really just keeping my eye on that position more than any single player. And right now, after four days, nothing's really popped out too much yet. But I've heard a lot about Brandon Riley, and nothing has really wowed me. So that's something that I will, I will say. You were there. I'm assuming that you were at the LaShawn McCoy press conference on Thursday after the first day of camp. Were you on hand for that? Yes, I was. Okay. That was very, as someone who's watched a lot of press conferences, that was extremely uncomfortable. And whether you were had a front row seat asking questions or whether you were watching it on a stream or listening on the radio, whatever have you, he addressed the allegations that are going on. And then he said he didn't want to talk about it. And he got extremely agitated when reporters who frankly are doing their job, you know, following up on things, started asking, you know, more questions. He clearly doesn't want to talk about it. And do you think that it's going to be something if this does drag on that might end up having an effect on him on the field and maybe even off the field in the way that he addresses you guys? Because it seems like he's really, really agitated right now with the media for doing their job. Right. I mean, I think that the whole situation has super, um, it has super distraction potential, right? Like if, if something does develop with this story and he's, and you know, he go, he has to go to court or, you know, file, uh, charges are filed and then you have to entertain, you know, putting him on some type of exempt list or, you know, even suspending him or I don't even know where it would go from there, but just say anything happens from that perspective, you know, the Bills organization from Terry and Kim Pagula to Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, they're basically standing behind him saying that um, everything is a-okay and they're, they've done, they're happy with what they've learned and they're supporting him and going forward, which, you know, someone that doesn't have any insight whatsoever into what's, what's actually going on behind the scenes. I don't think that they would do that unless they were very confident because this would be a very bad look for everyone involved if sure. something really bad happens. I think the biggest thing to watch for it, with this is not necessarily McCoy, because I'll tell you right now, I've been super impressed with him from a football perspective. He's dialed in. One of the big storylines going into the season was, okay, all this stuff off the field with McCoy, but he's also turning 30 years old, and running backs usually don't get better as they get older. And it doesn't look like he's lost a step. I mean, he's still cutting on a dime, like his Instagram uh, or his Twitter handle says, and he's still like doing all the things that you expect from a LaShawn McCoy. But if, if this becomes a distraction for the team, a young team with a young quarterback and a new offensive coordinator and a young head coach, you just wonder about like how that affects you know a team that a lot of people are – I mean, I've seen two or three in the last week uh, season predictions with them winning two or three games. So, you know, you can't have added distractions when you're trying to develop as a team and as an organization. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, with no LaShawn McCoy, whether it's suspension, injury, whatever, those two or three win predictions could very easily become a reality. And that's something that we'll monitor going forward. But let's end this like I do, like I said, every week with a little mini lightning round. What I'm going to do is ask you a handful of random questions. Whatever pops in your mind, just say it. All right, cool? Yep, sounds good. Favorite activity to do? Ooh, watch basketball. <laughs> okay. Oh, all right. So we got a football reporter who worked for the UFC and his favorite activity is watching basketball. I like that. My favorite sport, my favorite sport uh, to watch is the NBA. I'm not a huge college basketball fan. Like, but my, as a fan, 
I still, that's my thing is the NBA. I followed all the guys on Twitter. Like that's my fanhood is the NBA. From the guys you've had an opportunity to meet to this point or that you already knew, who's the most entertaining fellow Buffalo sports media member you know? a good one uh most entertaining wow i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna throw back a good friend of mine and a guy that i always enjoyed listening to growing up on wgr sports radio 550 a gentleman by the name of brad Ryder, and he he was uh he was great i, I loved him he's he's doing all kinds of crazy stuff now he he uh he he writes uh uh, Buffalo trivia games and different city trivia games. He's mm-hmm. doing awesome stuff. But, you know, he I think he overslept one time for a show and things didn't work out at WGR, but he's still done radio over the years. But I loved him back in the day because, going back to the first thing that I answered, he would talk about NBA in Buffalo, which none of those guys do. Jeremy White does a little bit. Uh, occasionally Howard Simon will. But um, at the time, like Shope and Chuck Dickerson and all those kind of guys, no one wanted to talk about the NBA. And I was a huge NBA fan living in Buffalo and couldn't get any of it. So Brad Ryder, uh, A-plus guy, and uh, I thought I found him very entertaining. If there's one guy on the Bills that you could see being a UFC fighter, who would it be? Ooh, I already got this one, and I was joking with Sean McDermott today about oh, I it. I, I, was, I thought I thought I'd be say first. It. I, I, he doesn't want me to say it because he doesn't want to give him any ideas, but uh, I do have to say Harrison Phillips, the new uh, defensive tackle, third-round pick, who is wowing everybody in camp with his just unbelievable power and strength, uh, he has a wrestling background. And just how powerful he is and just watching him, um, you know, how strong he is with his hands and how he moves and how he, he – bull rushes i he could be the heavyweight champion of the world <laughs> <laughs> all right where is your favorite spot currently to get some chicken wings in western new york Ooh, i got a lot of heat for this when i i wrote my my introductory c- column to nyup.com i said duff that's my spot it's always been my spot i'm a, I'm a williamsville amherst guy it's like right around the corner give me a break if you don't like duff's get out of buffalo but i will say this there are some good places like Gabriel's Gate. Somebody told me I've never been. I think it's in. Uh, I've had them. I think Downtown. it's in uh, North Buffalo or something. Downtown, I, I haven't yeah. been there. So, yeah, so I have to. I'm going to try them all, and I'm not hating anything. I'm just saying, if you don't like Duff's, that's that's messed up. Well, you know what? I don't like Duff's, and that's why I'm in Florida. So there, I'm Patrick. <laughs> What's your favorite sports movie ever? Ooh, very very nice, very nice. Um. Coach Carter. Okay, good one. Second last question here, okay? If Twitter were to send you a note and say, hey, Matt, man, you're only allowed to follow one person on Twitter and one person only, who would it be? I'm only following one guy, and that is the GOAT, the greatest of all time, LeBron James. Okay, Wow, you really are a basketball fan. Cool, man. <laughs> See, people are no people probably didn't know this. If they don't listen to this, they might not know that. Last question. I'm pr- pretty sure LeBron might be one of them now that I'm thinking of it. Three dinner guests from any era, dead or alive, any era, dead or alive, who you got? Any era, right? Like sure. what do I even want to talk about? Um but yeah, I think I would want to talk to uh you know, me and my wife, we love the movie All the President's Men. 
Uh, so I would, I think I would want to like have have uh, Bernstein and uh, uh, what's the other guy's name? Uh, uh, the two journalists from that movie, I, I think I'd want to talk to them. They were kind of some OGs. And if I was going to have a little basketball roundtable, I think I'd want to bring the, the inventor of the game, uh, James Naismith, hmm. with Michael Jordan, LeBron James, and Skip Bayless. And we can just all sit around a, a table and just, it can get real weird real quick. <laughs> It'll get weird with Skip Bayless, or that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> all right, folks. Matt Perino. That was a lot of fun, man. It was nice to get to know you a little bit. I'm glad we did this. Hopefully the guys out there listening, they got to as well. I look forward to talking to you again. Patrick, thank you so much. It's been awesome. And uh, I look forward to uh, listening to more of your shows. Pat with us. To the victor belongs to sports. Why don't you get the fuck out of here before I shove your quotations book up your fat fucking ass? The customer is usually a moron and an asshole. Okay, a simple wrong would have done just fine, but then... All right, Tone Pucks. Dude, you know what? I've been here a couple weeks back in Buffalo. You've been with me once. We went out to have chicken wings together. I'll talk about that in a second, but... It's no secret I have been like on a chicken wing eating spree that happens every time I come back to Buffalo now. I'm fat as hell. You've also seen that. I can't even try to hide that anymore. Not even hoodies in the middle of the summer here in Buffalo work for me. But I'll tell you what, dude, I could tweet about Josh Allen. I could tweet about a podcast promo, the best promo ever. But Saturday night, and we're taping this Sunday night, I put up my personal chicken wing power rankings fucking explosion on Twitter. I got like a hundred replies or mentions, whatever you call it, a bunch of likes, bunch of people getting shitty with me over it, did not like some of my choices. Dude, what's up? And we both have an unpopular opinion that we're going to get to in a second regarding chicken wings. Well, what's up? Are you really a chicken wing guy like so many people in Buffalo are? Yeah, man. I I mean, I, I fucking love them. And I'll tell you what else people love, myself included. Okay. Power rankings. People love them some power rankings, yeah. And 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 you, you know, so you you're you're mixing uh, one huge passion of uh, of Buffalo with the power rankings that you know sports fans, uh, you know, pardon this, uh, eat up, and um and you found uh, you found a niche with it, which is kind of hilarious to me, you know, as far back as we go, that a guy that slept on the couch opposite me and basically lived on chocolate milk, <laughs> Pepsi and plain fucking steak subs is suddenly some sort of, you know, uh, restaurant, um, savant. So it, it, it's pretty impressive uh, to see how far you've come. Dude. But seriously, man, I mean, you, you were a no veggie, no uh, you know, no sauce, no mayo, no oil guy, the blandest shit going, plain hot dogs too. And like, here you are, people are paying all sorts of attention to your wing takes. Um, it's, uh, it's, if they only knew where, uh, where, where it all started. I've tried to explain that too. You know, I'm a plain Jane and I like my chicken wings the way most people do not like them. 
I like them saucy. I don't like them crispy. I hate blue cheese. That's pretty much everything that every real every real <laughs> Buffalonian hates that shit. Oh, but man, I'll tell you I what. Know. And listen, we're going to talk some Buffalo Bills football. Obviously, that's the big thing here. We got a lot to get to. But dude, this is this has picked up steam this weekend. So I have to run these down. These were, my, for everyone out there listening who doesn't have Twitter or doesn't follow me or doesn't give a shit about me, which you shouldn't, I had my top 10 power rankings for chicken wings, all right? One of these we are in agreement with that no one else seems to be. I had number one, 911 Tavern, two Elmo's, three Barbill. You could put those in any kind of order, but I think for the most part, most people would agree those are the three best. After that, I had O'Neill's four, Gabriel's Gate five, Big Tree six. Here's the big one, which we're going to get into in a second, and we'll talk about that separately. I had Anchor Bar, for the moment anyway, at seven. Then I had Mimosas, which is where this all started, by the way, Saturday night in Hamburg. I had some wings there. I really enjoyed them. Said they made the power rankings, put them out there, and then bam, all these responses started coming. And then I got nine, a sleeper pick, Nightcap and Lackawanna, and then 10, of course, Lenovas. But anyway, getting to Anchor Bar, that's what's really drawn the ire of most you know, chicken wing fans to a man, especially because I didn't have duffs on this list. People were frying me over that shit. And every week we end our segment, this segment that we do with an unpopular opinion. And we usually bash each other for our shit. But this time we're actually have the same unpopular opinion. So let's get that out right now. I'll let you have it. What's your unpopular opinion for this week? My unpopular opinion is that Anchor Bar and Duff's still belong in any wing countdown, power rankings, whatever you want to call it. They put out fabulous wings, and I've had, I want to say, maybe two of your top five, all right? Um, Gabriel's Gate is awesome, Um, and what's the other one I've had? Barbell, all right? Those are awesome chicken wings, no doubt about it. Now, I have no doubt that the other ones on the list are as well, but... It seems like all this momentum has built up, especially amongst, you know, the younger chicken wing generation that the old staples, all right, no longer belong on these lists. And that is horse shit. <laughs> I compl- I agree with you halfway. I am totally on board with you with Anchor Bar. I hate the rap that Anchor Bar is getting in again. I'm catching... Probably four out of every replies I have that people who don't agree with what I said, which they have every right to, it's that they hate Anchor Bar. Anchor Bar is trash. It doesn't need to be on there. Shouldn't be on there. I personally don't really care about Duff's. I wouldn't say Duff sucks, but they're not on my power rankings. And I clearly, clearly like Anchor Bar better than I do Duff's. I need to go back to Anchor Bar too, by the way, because Everyone's got me so down on them. And I will admit this very early in the process when I really started getting into having chicken wings is when I went there. I had them before I had a lot of these other places, but I couldn't go from putting them number one or two to completely taking them off the list. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, man. And it's important that you hit the one on Main Street, okay? And that's true of Anchor Bar. Yeah, And that's true of, of the original Duff's as well. Because if any of these... You know, people are, are going to the satellites and hey, look, that's, that's, you know, Anchor Bar and, and actually Duff's is pretty consistent between their original location and at least the one at the Eastern Hills Mall. But the, the Anchor Bar one, um, I don't even know where the other one went, like Sheridan and Transit or something like that. There was a, a, a noticeable difference. So, you know, if that's your, what you're using as Anchor Bar, not you, but people who, 
you know, uh, who diss Anchor Bar, if that's what they're using as their representation, uh, then I give it a little more um, validity because that one is not as good as the Main Street one. But, the you know, the funny thing is I, I also ended up in a, in a chicken wing debate. I've, I've never had more mentions, all right, than when uh, I went in on chicken wings prior to your ranking. And I, I think it was because, you know, Bulldog chimed in so that, that's what got the traffic going. It certainly wasn't my hundred and I'm actually down to 115 um, followers now, <laughs> but somebody said that they called themselves, they fancied themselves a wing snob. Okay. That has got to be the biggest oxymoron I've ever heard in my life. The whole beauty of the chicken wing is its simplicity. Okay. It is not for a snobby take. There's no such thing as a, as a wing snob. Yeah. The chicken wing is its simplicity. All right. It's know how long to keep it in the fryer, know the right ratio of hot sauce and butter, and just slap it out there, man. Now, obviously, I'm oversimplifying because there are various tastes that people enjoy that, uh, you know, that these, these smaller places have, have perfected. But at its core, man, it is. Know how long to cook it, know how hot and buttery to make it, and that is going to pretty much dictate how delicious your wing is. Yeah. There's no room for snob for for a snobby take on chicken wings. <laughs> it's just so chicken subjective. Wings, One person's trash is another person's treasure. No, we're all different. Me and you had wings at a place in Lackawanna. I'll mention them. Sunny's red, Sunny Reds. We both heard a lot about them. We went there, we had wings. We both agreed. They were good. They weren't elite. They weren't Aaron Rodgers wings. You know what I mean? But they weren't, (laughs) I got to dish your boy here, Nate Peterman wings either. They were better than that. They were pretty good. I would not tell somebody to not go there. You know what I mean? I think that they're pretty good. I think you could almost say that for any place in Buffalo. Tell you what, you take the top 10 worst places in Buffalo, bring that shit down to Florida and you'd be lined up around the corner to go get them. I'm I'm pretty sure we've just totally stumbled into a new way to rate the wings, and that is to name them after a quarterback. I'm going to absolutely 100% going to do that. I think that's about to happen. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's about to happen. It it is going to happen, and we just wasted 10 minutes of our segment talking chicken wings. You know, there is something good to come out of it, though, because based on this weekend, I think it's time to start taking this podcast on the road a little bit, at least for the couple more weeks that I'm still here. We're going to have to get out to a couple of these places. I'm sure we can get some free wings out of that shit. Go tape an episode or at least a segment, me and you, and go have some free wings in the pod process. And we'll do a little review right on the air. I'm sure there'll be a couple of places that would definitely be down doing that. Enough with the chicken wing bullshit. Let's talk some Buffalo Bills because the first few days of practice have definitely indicated that this is going to be indeed a true open competition at quarterback just like Sean McDermott has said all along with all three guys getting opportunities how are you feeling about the way things have looked the first couple days based on what you've seen and what you've read and does this quarterback competition really make you look more forward to preseason games than it might have in years past I'm probably looking more forward to preseason than I ever have with with the way this this team is lining up uh, and certainly the quarterback position is at the top of that list. You know, I felt like it was a true competition as well. I took McDermott at his word, 
but I just never felt like Allen was was really a viable option in week one. And despite some of the momentum gained over the course of the first few days here of practice, I still feel that way. I think, you know, there isn't a person out there, including uh, those that were high on Allen, who felt like he was NFL ready. Okay. Rosen was the only one even talked about in that breath. And all of a sudden, you know, we're going to push for this kid, you know, to go out there when the bullets are, 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 are firing for real. And I just think it's, uh, I think we need to pump the brakes. I, I really do. I think if Allen quote unquote wins this job or looks the, wins this job in the eyes of, of the fans, uh, and media for that matter, I think he's gonna, he being McDermott is gonna default to Peterman. I don't think there is any scenario, no matter how good he looks, where they roll Josh Allen out under center against the Ravens in week one. I just don't see it happening. I think there's a plan. I don't think they ever expected him to win this job or be ready for it. And he would have to absolutely shock the shit out of them um, to do that. And I don't think he's he's going to shock the shit out of them. We might be pleasantly surprised. They might be pleasantly surprised. But they are closely, closely guarding his confidence, his workload. And it all, to me anyways, speaks to a plan that does not truly include him in the conversation um, to start this season. I agree with you 150% in in terms of he's not going to start week one. I do think that he could, even if he does run away with this competition over the next, say, what is it, four weeks or so, four to five weeks, which he very well can. And we've been saying this, and a lot of people have been saying this. Dude, if you can't beat out Peterman and McCarron in a training camp in preseason, then maybe you shouldn't have been the seventh overall pick. I don't care if you're a project or a rookie or any of that. But having said that, I do agree with you. I think it would be a terrible idea to roll this kid out who's probably not NFL ready in week one for a lot of reasons, man, a lot of reasons. And much of that is what's around him. Now, the one thing you did mention that I do not agree with you with is I do think by default, if it's not Josh Allen, which we both don't think it's going to be, I think McCarron's still the starter. I really do. I know Peterman took the first snap of the first practice, but I still say A.J. McCarron, of the two between him and Peterman, are going to win that job. I think it's going to end up that A.J. starts, and I think Josh Allen's going to be the two, and I think Peterman's going to end up being the number three. Now, based what I've heard from, you know, Bill's media folk over to force, and of course, listen, man, it's four days into camp, man. I, it doesn't mean anything right now, but I really think that A.J. McCarron has the hand up already over Peterman, who I hear just simply has not looked good at all. Well, I, I either I either misspoke or you're just so used to hearing me say Peterman that I perf- that I totally understand um, what you heard, what you thought you heard. But what I said was, if if Allen looks to be the better quarterback, the default goes to McCarron. Okay, now I still think. Peterman has a chance to win the job and look like the best of the three. Yeah. But what I what I believe is if he doesn't look like the best of the three, if Allen looks like the best of the three, 
Okay. And fans are screaming for it. And, and, you know, the media's, you know, on that train too, as they kind of have already started to be with the who's deck and stuff like that on, on GR, the Allen stock is rising. Okay. That's when they default to McCarran and simply say, look, this is what we brought him in to do. All right. This is, this is what, you know, AJ McCarran was brought here to be our starter this year, be a, be a veteran starter. He's the best. Fit right now, because if Allen looks to be the best of the uh, of the three, and they go to Peterman, they get killed. They get killed. Okay, Peterman has to be has to either win the job or he doesn't get it. There are two scenarios where McCarron starts. Okay, if he's the best of the three, or if Allen's the best of the three. That's I guess that's what I'm trying to say. That McCarron is the fallback. If Allen looks to be um, like he may be ready, they fall back on McCarron. They don't force Fiji Peterman. I think there's going to be a good chance that of the three, Allen looks to be the most ready and the fans will crave for him. You know, there might be a little, I don't want to say outrage, but they're going to want him to start sooner than later. And I hope they don't. I want A.J. McCarron to start this season. And, and we've talked about it, man, for a lot of reasons. Yo, the first snap of camp, okay? The very first snap. And we've known for, you know, months pretty much what this lineup was going to be, but it never really hit me. I'm sitting there on Twitter, day one of, of training camp, and Sal Capaccio tweets, first snap of camp has Nate Peterman with the OL consisting of from left to right, Dawkins, Dukasi, Bodine, Miller, and Mills. I'm like, dude, that's fucking terrible. It's terrible. Just imagine if Shady, by the way, if he ends up getting suspended or he gets hurt at some point and you got Chris Ivory taking the handoffs with that offensive line and Nate Peterman. Like on paper, that may be historically awful offense. Why would you want Josh Allen to start day one, week one with that offensive line, those receivers, and pretty much nothing except LaShawn McCoy? I don't want him to start week one. Let him learn for a while. Yeah, I don't think you're going to have anything to worry about. But on that topic, though, on paper, I've I've agreed with you. You know, not to the extent that that you um, think they're going to be terrible. But yeah, they they certainly sound like uh, um, you know, like the Cleveland Indians uh, uh, spring training roster in uh, in Major League. But it hasn't been playing out that way on the field. This is also true of Nate Peterman. All right, who on our taping day had his best uh um his best practice of of the four according to Biscalia. And he has also talked about the guard play. Dukas uh picking right up where he left off last year. Um Miller above above average play and Miller absolutely dominating one-on-ones. Um with a plug for Connor McDermott during the course of of the first few days as well. So, uh, you know, I don't disagree. You know, we're on the same page with Allen and why, uh, you know, he should or or shouldn't start. But I'm not sure that we're on the same page with how terrible what around him is. I I just think he's very, very limited, very, very raw. And no matter how good, uh, you know, he throws the ball against his own team in a very controlled environment, um, he's not going to be ready for Sundays, you know, till at least a quarter, if not a half of the season has gone by. 
But seriously, man, I mean, I know you, you mentioned Miller as soon as I started talking about the line. So it sounds to me like, you know, you've heard some of the good stuff about, you know, the early, early read on this line as well. So I have, but does the, it doesn't mean anything a couple of days in the camp. I'm up, I, I, I've watched Jordan Mills play, what, 32 games at right tackle. I watched John Miller when he was a starter. Can he get better? Yeah, he probably will. I've heard a lot about Bodine. Talk to Cincinnati people. So, you know, Dawkins had a lot of promise last year as a rookie. I give him that. I like Dawkins. Ducasso's there. It's okay. You know what I mean? May, I'm yeah, hoping I Wyatt Teller. I'm hoping that maybe some surprise guy, maybe they pick someone up. I just don't like this offensive line, and I don't care about what they're doing in shorts or even one day in pads. I can almost, and I hope I'm wrong, by the way, I can almost promise you that once the game starts, I'm not even talking preseason, you're really going to see it. Even in a vanilla defense that teams are going to play in the preseason, just man-to-man, there's nothing about this offensive line right now after Deion Dawkins that I like. And I didn't even talk about the wide receivers, by the way, because I'm going to tell you, I'm going to make a prediction right now. I guarantee you before this season starts, between now and opening week, they do something semi-significant when it comes to wide receiver, making a trade or picking up a guy that gets cut somewhere. Because right now, I mean, every week I bash the offensive line. It gets old. But you know what? These wide receivers, all right, Benjamin is probably what you would agree. is maybe a 1B, okay? Jeremy Curley, he's a 3. I like him. He's a pretty good 3. Who the hell knows about Zay Jones? Is he a 2? Is he a 4 or 5? And then you got guys like Rod Streeter and Brandon Riley, Robert Foster, Malachi Dupree, Ray Ray, and, you know, Austin Prowl, all these other guys, there's like 10,000 of them in camp right now. They're all fives. You know what I'm saying? They're going, sure. they have to, they got to do something at wide receiver. You're making a very big mistake, especially if you're really trying to see if A.J. McCarron's good or what Josh Allen could be. If that's your wide receiving core in week one, I'm sorry, but they got to do something. I, uh, I like your guarantee. Um... I do guarantee it. Yeah, all right. I mean, I'm I'm with it. Yeah, I think uh, I think a a name real quick, uh, you know, not a receiver cut, we've yeah, heard of real quick, and not to cut you off, but let's remember, it was actually during the preseason. Brandon B traded players for players, traded Watkins, and I mean they got a pick, but they also got EJ Gaines back, and then they dealt Darby. This was during the preseason, you know what I mean? And they got Jordan Matthews back in picks. So don't think that this team is organization is afraid to make player for player deals. They got to do something in wide receiver. Don't you think they got to do something? I do. I just, I guess there's a part of me that really wants to see how the back end of this roster performs as it was constructed, you know, by, by being in McDermott. Uh, you know, they, I, I, I point to a guy like Jordan uh, Poyer, um, who no one had heard of for the most part. And, you know, they, they, they knocked it out the park, man. You know, they, they knocked it out the park. You look at a guy like Connor McDermott, they swooped in and got him off the Patriots practice squad, uh, as a developmental player. And a lot of good things are being said, you know, about the camp he's having so far. You know, the same is true of, uh, of Malachi Dupree that they're, you know, that they're talking about. It's just like, that's how you do it, man. You know what I mean? You don't do it with all those ridiculous splash moves. That, that the Rex and Whaley, um, you know, group made. You do it by finding hidden gems. And I would love to know that maybe there's, you know, maybe there's one on the, on the list of wide receivers. I, 
it's more likely with with these evaluators and and this um, administration than it was in the past. I, I still hold them in very high regard, and I'm hoping that um, that it's true at the wide receiver position because they 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 need it to be. They need a a Dupree or. Um, Oh, who the hell knows? I don't even know the the, the rest. That well, they need but. Zay Jones to be good. That's the biggest thing. They need him to be the guy that they drafted last year and moved up for in the second round. That's big. Again, it's unfair to, to judge A.J. McCarron or even worse, Josh Allen, having him out there with a bunch of guys who haven't done anything in the NFL after Benjamin and Curley. It's just, to me, it's unfair. I'll tell you, a Kelvin Benjamin injury might be as debilitating to this team as a as a Shady McCoy injury. Yeah, maybe or, or you could even make an suspension. argument. Yeah, I agree. It could even be worse. I mean, at least you know Chris Ivory's serviceable back there. Benjamin goes down. You got to be shitting me, man. Jeremy Curley's your number one. That can't happen. And Benjamin it's, does have an injury history. I'm telling you, it, it, it's a moot point because I'm telling you right now. What is this episode? We're taping Sunday night, July 31st. I'm telling you right now, in the next three to four weeks. They will have a wide receiver who, at worst, is in the top three on that depth chart. And that's at worst. I'm telling you that. I guarantee you that right now. I hope he does something, man. Yo, know, last last year's camp was was super fun. I mean, it was it was uh, a shock to the system at times with some of the names that were traded away. But, yeah, man, having a, a general manager who's willing to make player-for-player player trades and do it, you know, um, during the course of training camp, uh, you know, to change the complexion of your roster that much. Um, I don't think we'll, we'll ever see that again. That was obviously a year one, uh, purge kind of thing. But yeah, another, uh, a, a tinker or two that makes, uh, that makes some headlines, uh, above and beyond just the, uh, the daily camp news and notes. That'd be a lot of fun. That'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Now you mentioned Jordan Poyer a couple of minutes ago. I'm glad you did. Um, people who are on Twitter, or if you just follow social media news, I guess you probably have heard about it by now. But I think it potentially be a distraction. I hope it's not. But he got in a very public Twitter breakup with his wife slash Instagram model, uh, Rachel Bush. Long story short, Jordan Poyer made a mistake and got caught. And his wife called him out. It was all over Twitter. But are you concerned at all that this might become a distraction for Jordan Poyer, who was one of the best players on the team last year. Not in the least. <laughs> just just not in the least. I, I mean, guys go through, uh, you know, relationships, up, ups and downs during a, a, a football season that are less public. And, you know, they, they have the same sort of effect on their uh, psyche or whatever. Um, you know, they do have a child together and if in fact this thing doesn't, uh, blow over or get mended, then, you know, that sucks for personal reasons for, for both of them or whatever. But, you know, as far as it, uh, as far as it will translate on the football field, I don't, uh, I don't even think twice about it. Good. I hope you're right. One more distraction thing I wanted to ask you about Thursday when camp opened, Shady had a press conference you know, right after practice. And he said right at the top that the uh, allegations against him, which again, and we're not going to get into those right now, but he said the, the investigation is open and ongoing. And he wanted to leave it at that and only take football questions. You can't do that at a press conference. That's not going to happen. The media predictably doing their job 
are asking follow-up questions. You know, what has your lawyer told you to say things? You know, what is the timeline stuff? All that looking. And he got noticeably upset with the media, short with the media and aggravated with the media. He looked uncomfortable. It was one, I don't know if you even got a chance to see it when it happened, but it was definitely one of the more uncomfortable press conferences that I can personally remember. You know, what are your thoughts on all this right now? Without, again, getting into specifics of what happened or, you know, he may or may not have been involved in and where things stand right now with this team. Is this something, like I asked you with Jordan Poyer, that you're worried about becoming a distraction to him or the team? I don't I don't think so. I mean, it becomes a big deal if they lose the player. And other than that, people could, they'll, they'll ask as many questions as they want to ask. You know, the Bills were smart. They're, they're, they're a much smarter public relations, you know, business than, than they were yes, under Rex and, and Whaley. Boyko, Boyko, Burchold, too. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Burchold's, uh, well, he had, he had his ups and downs, but Boyko's smart. Um, you know, he's got, Bean's got a, a background in it, uh, a little bit of one as well. And they're just, they're good communicators and, and they know how to, um, you know, they know how to play the game. You know, a lot of media gets frustrated because there's so much, you know, predictability in their answers. But, you know, I mean, that's how you do it, man. That's just how you do it. Not every GM, shit, there's only one that I've known so far is Tim Murray. All right. There's only one Tim Murray and that's Tim Murray, you know, and we got a little spoiled with uh, the sort of inside that uh, that he gave us into into his thinking and and you know how straightforward he was. You don't get that from smart football guys. Smart football guys dance around everything, and you know they 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 knew they needed to put McCoy out there. They knew they needed him, uh, to, you know, to take some early bullets to um, you know that he could then go into hiding until he absolutely you know has to go in front of a camera again. And I don't know when that's going to be. I don't. I don't think it's necessarily going to be anytime soon. They can, you know, they'll be rolling out quarterbacks and coordinators and coaches and Bean and stuff like that. And you're probably not going to hear from from Shady again. So they got him out there. They let him take the take the hits. And um, now it goes away in, until it becomes in an issue, um, either legally or with the league. And you know, that very well may happen, but um, the Bills did did their part smartly. Fair enough. I, maybe I'm underreacting, and if I am, let me know. But Jimmy Garoppolo recently went on a date with a porn star, and it made, like, big news around the NFL, Twitter, social media, all that stuff. I read that he may lose marketing opportunities and, you know, other things like that over it because at the core, the NFL still, can, you know, they still consider themselves a uh, a family-friendly league. Do you have any thoughts on what happened with him dating a porn star? Should that be a big deal or should it not matter what he's doing in his personal life? What do you think? It shouldn't matter one iota. Thank and you. Quite, quite frankly, the, the, uh, the pushback from sponsors or media or the league itself, whatever, um, ranks right up there with Jerry Jones's, you know, news from the week about, you know, the Cowboys idiot will stand. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's just look, man, you, you know, 
The NFL is is driven by conservative values, okay? Above the family part, okay? More so than, you know, being family friendly and stuff like that. Now, this isn't to say that, um, you know, people who believe in, in the protests and things like that, you know, not to get into any of that, but there are plenty of football fans out there like that. But to me, they're, they're, their bread is still buttered um, by conservative values and, you know, going on a date with a porn star doesn't fit with that. So it's it comes as no surprise that there was, uh, you know, that there was pushback, but it's as big a joke as um, as as owners who make their uh, their employees stand for the anthem. You know, exactly. I'll tell you what quickly my take on that is, dude, Jimmy Garoppolo what he signed a contract for like $137 million or some crazy shit like that. You know what? Fuck Pepsi endorsements. I don't, who cares? You don't need them. Long as what he does off the field and who he has a relationship with, long as it's not a distraction on the field to himself or to his team or to his teammates, who gives a shit? I just think it's absurd that people got to make a goddamn big deal literally out of everything. Who he dates is his own goddamn business. The last thing I do want to talk about, and this is not a joke, like we joke a lot about about a lot of shit on here, but this is a serious matter here, okay? And I meant to talk to you about this last time, we just didn't have time, but there was an AAU uh, basketball tournament game in Emerson, Georgia a couple weeks ago, okay? And a team from Chicago was playing there, and they were losing pretty bad. They didn't like the calls they were getting. They ended up becoming a physical altercation with, with a player and one of the referees, and essentially... The entire team jumped that official, okay? It was on dead spin, and it was all over the news. I ask you this because it's probably a little more personal to you. You are an official. You know, you do a lot of youth and high school games, um, basketball, baseball, football, and such. Do you ever fear for your safety out there? Like I said, when I see a story like that, it really hits home. And me personally, I would have that little bit of fear in the back of my mind. I don't know how you feel about it. So that's why I wanted to ask you, what did you think about hearing about this story? And do you ever have any type of fear when it comes to something like that happening? Me personally, man, you know, I, I've never had had a fear. There was, I was, you know, tried to break up a brawl one time in, uh, in South Buffalo, a uh, football little league brawl, which, you know, the, those those actually can get kind of crazy, you know, sure. the, the sidelines on Little Because, you know, I mean, you're pop. I've yeah, seen yeah, it. You're, you, you know, and, you know, I, I, I wanted to call the game right then and there. It was it was near enough to the end. You know, the, the, the final result was a little bit in doubt, but enough to where I just felt like I'm calling this game. And one of my partners said, you're not getting out of here alive if you call this game. Now, obviously, he was being somewhat facetious, but, um, you know, I did. It, it made me second guess my decision. All right. That, that little bit of fear that, you know, that I might be confronted, um, on the way off for, you know, for calling the game. But, you know, all in all, man, it, it's the numbers in, in officiating are down across the country in all sports, you know, because of the, the parents' reaction and, and the coaches' reaction and stuff like that. I think it's kind of funny, uh, you know, and, and sometimes it gets me in trouble because I like to, you know, I, 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 I like to bar back with sure. them a little bit. You know what I mean? And, and just try to try to lighten it a little bit. 
a couple times that's worked against me. You know, that's that's they 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 weren't in a joking mood, and my superiors, quote unquote, um, you know, have have gotten into me, you know, for that, uh, you know, for shooting back a little bit. Like I'm I'm supposed to treat this, you know, as if you know I'm I'm on the sidelines on a Sunday or whatever, and that's what's expected of me. So. You know, that's how I go about it. You know, some people just take the fun out of it. It's it's the typical, a few bad apples spoil the bunch. Um, thankfully, I don't think we've ever had... Oh, you know what? I take that back, man. I was about to say we never had anything like that locally. Kid from ECC buried a, buried a ref uh, a couple years ago, ain't it? Do you remember that? I don't remember. Ice, ice hockey. Ice hockey. Uh, an ECC player sounds just, familiar. just knocked the dude out. Yeah, man. So actually, it had... It, it, it has hit home. Um, I personally, I, I, I've seen the footage that you're speaking of. Basketball is the scariest, you know, because it's just, you know, it, it, it gets pretty damn physical and you're blowing the whistle. You know, the whistle's real, real loud. You blow a loud whistle, usually right in somebody's face. Right. You know what I mean? And that hand goes up and they just, you know, it's it, it gets really, really passionate um, at the moment of, uh, of, of a foul call. Yeah. So probably more so, you know, football, the fans in football, um, you know, can be a little, uh, you know, tenacious and overwhelming. But in terms of the player reaction, it, it doesn't surprise me to see it happen in basketball uh, above others, uh, above other sports. And that's probably because of, you know, just, the, you know, the proximity and the intensity of 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 fouls and, and things of that nature. Man, you you brought up some really great points. Coaching has so much to do with that. I feel like these coaches, and again, I've been around, I raised a son who played football and baseball, and I've been around, you know, youth sports and high school sports most of my life. And you see these guys on the sideline who can't keep their composure, especially not the, the you know, the ones who aren't certified in training, especially like these little loop coaches. I've seen it a hundred times or these tournament coaches who are former players or whatever, but they don't have any real formal training with coaching. They don't keep their composure on the sideline. And when you can't keep your composure, how do you expect a 13, 14 year old kid to be able to keep his, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely, man. I mean, that's where you, that's where you see it the most. Now I know you've, you've seen some clips um, in high school where that filthy son of a bitch uh, you know, uh, just, just stuck the, uh, uh, the back judge in the back, uh, you know, a safety, I think it was in Texas, man. It was just, it was just yeah. deplorable, but most of the times that's not where you see it. You know, those, those coaches, uh, in high school, you know, they've, they've got a vested interest, you know, monetarily and, uh, you know, their careers and, you know, whatever their aspirations might be either in education or maybe advancing, you know, their, their, their football, uh, coaching career as well. Yeah, that, that's actually one of the safest uh, places to be is is on a high school field. As soon as as soon as you've got uh, you know dads and stuff like that running the show, and all due respect to you know to their volunteer efforts, they don't know shit, and and that's where uh, and and they're just they're usually chronic complainers, and and the kids follow suit. All right, Tone Bucks, dude, got anyone you want to give a shout out to? No. Dynamite drop-in money. That broadcast school has really paid off. All right, that's a wrap for this episode. Big thanks again to Matt Perino. That was a lot of fun getting to know a brand new Buffalo Bills beat reporter. He's got big shoes, of course, to fill at NewYorkUpstate.com with Matt Fearborn gone. But you know what? They're going to be fine. Matt's a good writer, and he's a good dude. 
Love the UFC stuff too. That was a lot of fun. Also, thanks as always to Tone Pucks for a Spirited Pad with Pucks segment. I always look forward to that. As I mentioned earlier, coming up on Friday's show, I got an interview with special guest Pancho Bilia, and we're going to talk about a lot of things, including the celebrity status that guy's elevated himself to among Bills fans. I mean, seriously, it was obvious at training camp last week. That guy was the most popular person at St. John's Fisher. And I don't even think it was close either. Fans love him and for good reason. So I cannot wait to have that show on Friday. Okay, guys, if you haven't done so already, I implore you to go to iTunes and please subscribe to this podcast. It's quick. It's easy. It's free. You subscribe and then just like that, new episodes automatically get sent to your phone or to your computer is literally as simple as that. I'd also appreciate it if you could rate and review this podcast. If you don't have an Apple phone or iTunes or whatever on your computer, you could also find us on Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are heard. Have a good, have a great rest of the work week. And I'll tell you what, I'll talk to you guys again on Friday. And I'll be here, like I said, with Pancha Bilia. Peace out.